amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Every day on the blogs and forums about 
my chicken has a cold. And, uh, well, we know they don't get colds, but that's what they say. My chicken has a cold, and what can I give them for this? And then everybody has a different med. Everybody has a different dose. Everybody has a different length of time they give it. And it's all just put out there on the blogs and forums, and then people start um, self-medicating. You know, I've heard from a lot of people that say, hey, I've done this for 20 years. I've had success with doing this. This this, old, this is just going to uh, cost me chickens and, and that, you know, I, I'm responsible. I can, I've been doing this for a while. Um, the one thing, when I started hearing about this about a year ago, um, maybe even a little over a year ago, the first thing that actually and honestly popped into my mind was that um, and maybe a good thing um, in result of this new directive is that if people um, will take the initiative after this is passed to go to their veterinarian to get these prescriptions for these medications, um, it might actually make more vets get educated on the treating and treatment of backyard poultry. Right now, in fact, I just saw it this morning on, on my page. Someone said, uh, good luck trying to find a vet in your area that will look at chickens. Totally get it. Absolutely understand. And uh, so by now making a lot of these things where custom just going in and buying, now require a prescription, maybe some veterinary oversight. Uh, maybe that would um, encourage more vets across the country especially if they have people starting to come in and say, hey, you know, they just, due to this directive, I can't get this in the store anymore. I need to get it from you. So, you know, well, uh, mm, let me go into my journal. Let me go look up and see what the dose would be for, a, you know, eight-pound chicken. So it may encourage them to do more and, and maybe broaden their treatment, uh, especially with uh, the size of the backyard poultry movement around the country. Um, so uh, that may be a positive uh, maybe there's a negative in here that people who would normally treat their chickens because it's accessible, easily accessible, no prescription necessary, uh, maybe it will uh, limit the number of people who are treating their chickens, do I dare say, properly. So so I think there's some, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk to um, Dr. Patiski about this. The, the first thing I think of, again, is the positive of maybe now more vets will have to or be encouraged to uh, learn more about the care of poultry as more people go to them to try to get these um, drugs. Uh, but two, maybe some people uh, are going to have that attitude, well, I'm not going to go pay $100 for a $3 chicken. You know, and, and someone posted that, too, on my Facebook page uh, regarding this topic today. Why would they go and pay $100 for a vet visit for a $3 chicken? My response to that, folks, and you know, long-time listeners know, is that if you think that chicken is worth $3 at the end of the day, you are fooling yourself. <laughs> Factor in the cost of the coop. Back in the cost of your time, all of those treats you're giving them, all of those toys you're giving them, all the time you're spending, you know, add it up. <laughs> I remember many years ago, a lady added up every receipt she had, and her first egg cost her almost $700. So if you think it's a $3 chicken at the end of the day, but that's almost irrelevant. How many people out there get a free dog and a free horse? You horse owners know a free horse. Yeah, tell me about it, Andy. So, so, so they'll go and adopt a dog, and, and you know we'll have a free adoption day. In fact, we're waiving all adoption fees. It's a free dog, okay? And but yet yeah, people will take that free dog and go and spend 
because now it's a part of the family, uh, $1,500 on a hip replacement for the dog or some type of surgery for the dog, even though the dog was free. So, so I don't always buy the fact that, oh, it's just a $3 chicken scenario. Um, there's a lot of variables that play into this. I completely understand that for a lot of people out there, the health care plan they have for their chickens is a hatchet. So, hey, I have no problems with that. If that's your, if you go into this and, and, and have that plan, I don't need a first aid kit. I don't need a health care kit. I don't need a health care plan. I don't need a veterinarian. If my first sign of illness, I'm going to use a hatchet. Um, there's many people that have that as their health care plan for their backyard flock, their hobby flock, um, their homestead flock. It's a hatchet. That's their health care plan. Um, but for a lot of people, it's not. A lot of people do take their chickens to a local vet to ha- provide care. Uh, I know of a young lady uh, just outside of Houston, Texas, that for last year took her, I don't know if it was daily or weekly or three times a week, took one of her hens to have chemotherapy uh, done for her. Uh, she has health insurance for her pets, her chickens included, so maybe that made it more affordable for her. So, uh, yeah, you open up a kind of a can of worms. So so I understand that. But to just say, oh, it's a $3 chicken, he's going to take you to a vet for 100 bucks, you would be surprised. Um, and then there's the hatchet method. But, but there, again, there's a lot of folks that are accustomed to walking into the feed store and, hey, I need that bottle. It's right there in the fridge of this antibiotic or this or that or what, what have you. Um, the problems with that is, too, with social media is uh, they'll post on social media. My chickens have these symptoms. Um, uh, what do you think is wrong with it? What do I need to give it to get to get better? And, of course, you'll have a dozen people respond with a dozen different answers. And But someone will notoriously say, oh, my chickens had, those, my, my chick, I had a chicken that had those same signs and symptoms, and I gave them this, uh, this amount for this long, and now the chicken's fine. Well, we all know that there's a lot of there's an awful lot of uh, chicken diseases that present with the same signs and symptoms. So uh, you may uh, read this off this blog, go to the feed store, buy this antibiotic or buy this treatment or this drug, come back, use it, and you wasted your time. Now your birds are getting sicker if they're not dead already, uh, because you they just assume your bird had this because they had the same signs and symptoms when it wasn't anything close to what they had. Uh, so again, opening up more uh, cans of worms. So, uh, but I, I totally get, just like the person who responded earlier today, you know, I've had chickens for 20 years, I've used these drugs responsibly, I've had success with them, the government is coming in more more over-regulation, um, kind of uh, um, not trusting me and my ability to be able to treat my birds correctly, so, so there's some valid points, I guess, on either side of the fence, um, I know maybe part of this has to do with, um, uh, maybe, uh, I guess I don't know, but maybe it has to do with the uh, over-treatment of antibiotics uh, in, in our food um, chain. Uh, I know a lot of the big producers are concerned about that and have stopped using antibiotics that are used for people as well. They still have some that they may use, but they're not people are using them, so to try to eliminate the um, antibiotic-resistant bacteria and such. So that may be a part of this big directive or maybe what kind of spearheaded this, but we're going to find out all the information about it, the good, the bad, the ugly, when is this going to take effect. Maybe um, um, Dr. Petiski has kind of a list of more popular drugs that the backyarders are, are using that, hey, these, these aren't going to be available after January. I, I heard a couple of dates, maybe the end of this year and the beginning of next year. So uh, we'll get all that information. We're going to go to commercial break. But this is definitely an episode you want to have that pen and paper out, um, especially if you do 
have or do medicate your birds and are used to going to the store to get whatever you need for, to treat your flock. So pretty interesting show today. So get those pens and papers out. We'll return talking about the new FDA veterinary feed directive with Dr. Petiski right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. 
All right, thank you very much for staying with us today. I'm back here on Paul Furry with the Chicken Whisper brought to you by uh, Combox Feeds. Uh, head back over here to the switchboard, and um, we're going to bring on live now Dr. Maurice Patiski. And today we're talking about the FDA Veterinary Feed Directive. And um, so make sure you get those pen and pencil and paper out so you can take some uh, notes on this. Dr. Patiski, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, yeah. Always glad to have you on. Always glad to uh, learn from your vast knowledge of what's going on out there in uh, the poultry world. And um, actually, probably three weeks ago, I uh, got an email from um, uh, Dr. Um, hang on, just Bridget McRae, and she was like, hey, are you familiar with this? Do you know what's going on? I said, yeah, we talked about it a little bit with Peter Brown and, and a couple of other things, but it, it's getting closer and it's, it's getting more uh, news now and more people are starting to learn about it now and be concerned uh, about it. So when you mentioned that uh, maybe this could be a topic for today, I was all over that because it's been on my to-do list to have somebody come on and tell us really what's going on other than just hearsay or looking at an article and then jumping to conclusions. So uh, we're we're ready to learn about what uh, what this is all about. Yeah, well, it's um, it's definitely you know people are always resistant to change, so um, it's going to take an adjustment for uh, commercial and backyard and um, kind of those smaller commercial producers alike. It's it's definitely going to be an adjustment for them. That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, what some of the concerns you know you were I think tuning in uh, things that we hear from uh, our listeners and our fans and and, and my scenario of assuming that this might be a good thing to get more vets uh, familiar with treating chickens since maybe more people start walking through the door saying, hey, I need this for my chickens and um, that type of issue where they're we're looking at uh, all antibiotics and number of antibiotics. What really does, I guess what we'll start off simple, what what is this actually going to do and what does it mean for those who hadn't heard of this before, um, who maybe just uh, kind of the, the good old backyard poultry keeper? Yeah, that's probably a, a great place to start. So the, the veterinary feed directive is um, it's a directive from the FDA, and it's um, an attempt to address issues with how medically important antibiotics are used in livestock and poultry. So when we say medically important, we're talking about the ones that are important for you and I. Um, So we want to make sure those are efficacious and we don't have issues with uh, antimicrobial resistance um, Mm -hmm. if those uh, antibiotics are used inappropriately in livestock and poultry and then we get exposed to them. So um, the directive is is kind of an attempt to move toward eliminating the use of those type of drugs for what we call production purposes. And when we say production, we're not we're not talking about treating the birds for disease. We're talking about treating the birds uh, for uh, treating quote unquote for growth promotion and feed efficiency. Um, so and bringing the kind of remaining therapeutic uses. Um, under the supervision of a, of a licensed veterinarian. So kind of what that means mm-hmm. in kind of plain English is that if you want to have access to uh, a whole list of antibiotics that typically were and historically have been, have been available over the counter, like neomycin, tylosine, uh, chlorotetracycline, oxytetracycline, um, several drugs like that that are somewhat commonly used by um, mm-hmm. 
commercial poultry in some scenarios and by backyarders in other scenarios, um, you would need to work with a, with a veterinarian. So um, the, when you look at the, the feed directive, the way the language is written, the burden of oversight is, is not with the, the backyarder or the poultry um, producer. It's really on the veterinarian themselves. It, it's going to be their responsibility uh, to make sure that antimicrobials are only used for uh, treating diseases and that um, the vet is actually in charge of making sure that 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 um, that the client had that they have a relationship with the client um, and they can't write that uh, VFD um, unless they've actually seen the animals and have a relationship with the client. So what that means for backyarders, uh, kind of like you were implying a few minutes earlier, mm -hmm. is that backyarders now have to try to identify veterinarians that they can work with um, if and when their birds are sick, if they need access to one of the drugs that I um, mentioned earlier, for example, mm -hmm. that previously they were able to just get over, excuse me, over the counter. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that'll be a challenge for, I think, some of the reasons you listed. Uh, first and foremost, it, it's sometimes challenging to find small animal veterinarians or even large animal veterinarians uh, that are comfortable treating poultry. And, and that's something we're, we're trying to address at vet schools across the country. I can only speak for UC Davis, but I know it, it is an issue. Um, you know, right. we typically have a, an, an incoming class of a, maybe 130 students every year. Only a handful of those are really you know, getting exposed to poultry. That's more than there were when I was in vet school, you know, about five, ten years ago, but it's still probably not enough um, in order to deal with um, the number of backyard poultry enthusiasts that are out there right now that, that are eventually going to need potentially access to antibiotics if they're trying to treat a sick bird. The other thing I'd mention, too, is the, the, the directive is, is good in some ways um, because you know, the idea that people are just kind of willy-nilly treating their birds based upon what they're reading on websites um, mm -hmm. is not good therapeutic practice and will um, potentially um, increase the amounts of antimicrobial resistance that um, are out there. And we need to address that. Uh, the, the idea that uh, we can use antibiotics whenever our birds are sick whether it's and, and we and we're not able to identify what the source of the disease is and whether that antibiotic is even efficacious against what that what mm -hmm. that uh, etiology is or whatever that 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 disease causing agent is is, is not responsible um, medicine and is, is something that we we need to move away from especially as we're able to uh, better understand the mechanisms that produce bacteria that are resistant to antimicrobials so there is there is a goal in there. You know, the big question is, is how are we going to, you know, five years from now when we look at uh, data, and, and there's all kinds of ways we can look at this, but when we look at data for antimicrobial resistance, what, what kind of improvement have we, have we hopefully made by then? And I think that will be the really um, telltale sign about how efficacious the, uh, the directive has been. Because at the end of the day, we want to see progress either in five years or ten years, and if we're not seeing progress, then there's something else that we're not, uh, that we're not addressing. Do you think that, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, where you'll have, uh, we won't dive deep as, as what percentage you're doing it correctly and incorrectly, um, but do you think that when this comes into play that it would, I don't guess we want to call this good or bad, do you think it would um, limit care to birds? 
birds that might need it because now there's a whole other hoop we have to jump through. Uh, you know, and someone may use that as an excuse. Well, before this, the directive, I could just go and get this and treat my birds and they'd be fine. But now my birds are, you know, I can't treat them appropriately because I can't afford to go to the vet to get this, you know, prescription. You know, and they'll use the cost factor as an excuse. Do you think this, I guess, I don't know, I would think maybe overall it would help overall, but at the same time, there may be some flocks that may not get the help they could get by this directive. And, and again, trying to, I, I know you make a list of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and which list ends up being longer. Um, I guess it's safe to say some birds wouldn't get the care that they might require because of this loophole, uh, but that the birds that are getting the care are probably getting better care because of this loophole, because they go through the proper steps. Does that make sense? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think there's, there's, that's one of the unintended consequences that will probably happen, where people will... Mm-hmm. For, for you know, for two reasons. One, they can't find a veterinarian. They legitimately are trying to find a veterinarian to to help facilitate access um, uh, and and some type of client uh, veterinarian relationship, so they can get access to those drugs and birds that are legitimately sick. Um, that scenario could happen, but you can also get the scenario where someone doesn't want to pay the you know a hundred. Mm-hmm. $150 just to get just to walk in the door to a veterinarian and then on top of that have to um to get a VFD in order to get access to those drugs to treat a flock. You know, the one thing I would say um the diagnostic labs in most states um and I can speak for California, but I know there's several other states where the diagnostic diagnostic labs are actually free. So you can submit in California for example two birds that are either dead or sick, they will euthanize them, and uh, the diagnostic lab will do most of the pathology, microbiology, virology work for free, um, and they will isolate bacteria there. And based upon that CAS report, then I can give suggestions on how to potentially treat that flock. Now, that's free, and most people don't take advantage of that. And the reason most people don't take advantage of that, in part, is because most people aren't even aware of those resources. So, you know, I know, I know sometimes mm-hmm. we're probably... Acquire, but first and foremost, if people are concerned about cost and access, they really need to be working with their diagnostic labs, not even their veterinarians. The diagnostic mm-hmm. labs do this for free, and the reason they do it for free is because there is concern about avian influenza and exotic Newcastle mm-hmm. disease. So the states, um, for example, in California, the, the states have decided that we're going to subsidize um, the cost of diagnosing disease in backyard birds in order to lower that that bar to make it as easily uh, attainable to submit birds, so we can find those diseases. And the the great part about it is that they're they're then going to work up other potential diseases like Salmonella and E. coli and Mycoplasma, et cetera, et cetera, um, that will then give that owner information that that they need to have. Where owners, I think, are are somewhat irresponsible is that that's free and that's a, an easy access point for most people. Um, and the, um, that, that's something that owners need to take advantage of. The next step, you know, obviously if people have financial challenges, um, the next step is, is getting that VFD, and they're going to need a veterinary relationship in order to get that VFD. But getting to that first point I think is really important, um, that we need to make people aware of the resources that are available to them that are primarily free, including, you know, cooperative extension in various states, like folks like myself, there are diagnostic labs, um, that gets you 50% of the way there, which is basically diagnosing the disease. And a lot of diseases you're going to diagnose, and they're going to say, look, there's nothing you can do. Even if you had a- access to most antibiotics, there's absolutely nothing you can do. So if we're dealing with coccidia or Merrick's disease or mycoplasma, most of those can't be treated anyhow. So 
when people are kind of going online and just kind of willy-nilly using antibiotics, not only are they choosing things that aren't going to work in the first place, they're kind of wasting money. So if they're really mm -hmm. trying to be truly efficient and, and, and cost-effective, they should be using the diagnostic services that are free in most states. And then the diagnostic services are probably going to identify diseases that uh, very often can't even be treated, and they're going to have to make decisions about how to proceed with that flock uh, moving forward. Mm -hmm include, you know, depopulation and starting over again in some in some scenarios. Now, mine um, sounds a lot like uh, if, like today even, if somebody wants to medicate their chickens, um, what I often call off-label use, I think there's a more technical term, extra-label or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, where th th this drug is not labeled for chickens, but um, I see people use it all the time on the blogs and the forums or, you know, whatever the case, or on the back of this bottle of worm, this is not for laying here. So uh, I think there's um, I think there's laws in place now, and we know that they're obviously not followed because people do that often without getting veterinary oversight. My understanding through FARID is that um, uh, if you use something off-label, that you're supposed to get veterinary oversight, which would just, like you're saying, um, uh, they would tell you the dose and how long to give it and how to give it and then uh, an egg withdrawal time. Even though there's still not an official egg withdrawal time, that veterinarian could, could based on all of his knowledge, all of his research, say, I would suggest that you wait 30 days or 60 days or whatever, and this is off-label use. And then it kind of falls on the vet and not on that that person so it sounds you know kind of like that a little bit that if you use something off-label use technically you should have veterinary oversight and now we're kind of getting to where um we're not even going to make these available and and say you should have veterinary we're just going to we're going to say hey in order even to get these you need to have a uh established relationship you need a prescription to to actually get these is it mostly is there anything outside of the realm of antibiotics we're just talking under this directive antibiotics or are there other drugs that are falling uh into this or will they use this to add more drugs under this as the years go by yeah, so so those are all really good questions. I think the, the, the biggest point to make is that this only includes medically important antibiotics. So it does okay. not try to address uh, other antimicrobials, anti, other anti-parasitocidals, um, uh, for example, dewormers, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. things that are not used in humans. So uh, the classic example I could think of are coccidiostats. So if you use medicated mm -hmm. feed in your chicks, um, which mm -hmm. is, I believe is, is very important for um, short and long-term the health of your chickens. Um, those coccidiostats, there is no equivalent or analog in, in human medicine, so those aren't covered by the VFD, and you can still have access to those whenever you want. Um, antibiotics like bacitracin, um, there is no equivalent to that. Some of the dewormers like fenbendazole, again, not covered by the, the veterinary feed directive. So um, there's huge areas that are not covered. The one area that, that is also not covered, which is kind of interesting, as far as I can tell, are um, antibiotics in injectable forms. Um, and I, I'm curious at what point, if there is that kind of back door at some level, if um, the FDA eventually will try to kind of crack down on that. Um, we don't typically use antibiotics in that in poultry in that route. Um, in livestock, that might be more common. I'm not as familiar with that, um, but that is an interesting kind of exception. I'm not sure the logic behind that at this point. 
also, I'm going to throw something out there because you often see on the blogs and forums, people say, oh, you need to go out and get some Thailand 50 and you need to inject it into their breast with a syringe at this amount and for this much and this how many times. So so would that not be, would that not fall under the this directive? That would not is the way that I've re- read the directive. Now, that might be something they have to deal with eventually. Now, the reality is, for commercial poultry, that is not a route of um, <laughs> a route that we give any antibiotics yeah. through. It's in water or feed for the most part. That, so you know they're they're right. they're going to obviously deal with the, the bigger issue, which is um, antimicrobial resistance in uh, retail food and kind of mm-hmm. the issues mm-hmm. that are related to that. And obviously the uh, over-the-counter usage with respect to, to backyarders is is not for the most part retail. Um, but you can't affect the retail food system without affecting how the over-the-counter um, system is, is is currently set up. Because yeah, some of the will still question. go to feed stores, obviously. Right. My next question or uh, comment was like, you know, maybe I wonder if in, in the in the closed door meetings they said, well, you know, maybe we can do this if you you know have some parameters. If you have over whatever it is, 10,000 birds, then then you have to do this. If you have under 10 or maybe 3,000 is the number, you know, so then let's say the backyard are going into the feed store to get a little bag of uh, antibiotic to mix in their water, that, that would still be okay, but because um, that, you know, um, or maybe if may have that, you know, if you're selling meat or eggs or, you know, for, for you know, are you selling them or maybe, get, you know, and of course that's, you know, how do you police that kind of stuff? But, but I wonder if behind closed doors they had discussed about making, hey, this is really, we get, we get the antibiotic overuse. We get the uh, trying to eliminate, eliminate a lot of this uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria. Um, and, and, and we're looking at the big producers, the commercial producers, but this, this has to be all or nothing versus having a, a, a uh, a number put on there. So 3,000 birds or more, this, this applies to you. 3,000 less, it, it really doesn't. I wonder if that was uh, discussed behind closed doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, so, I don't so know. I think, I, I think at the end of the day, it, it's really a balancing act because you have to think about, mm-hmm. you know, issues of, okay, you, you want people to be able to, if, if an animal is sick, I'm a veterinarian, you need to treat them for that disease. Um, one way or the other, that they, they need to be able to be treated for that disease. But you also need to balance that out with uh, things like animal well-being, sustainability, food safety, food security. You know, the, 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 the old kind of order as far as, you know, commercial production, um, growth promotion was one of the balancing acts and uh, was one of the balancing things that you would consider when deciding to use uh, antibiotics, and there there are different dosages. So tylosin, for example, there is a, a dosage for growth promotion, and there's a dosage for treating um, uh, treating disease. Now that the challenge is that now that you can't use tylosin, for example, for growth promotion, now you have to only use the the labeled treating disease dosage. You can't use tylosin for growth promotion anymore. So. One of the interesting unintended consequences potentially could be um, that you might get more antibiotic usage uh, for some antibiotics because of the that ban on growth promotion. Um, all that, so, so, so those those dosage differences could cause some challenges moving forward. And then you know a lot of this is related to there's a significant shift away from antibiotic usage in livestock and poultry in the U.S., and that's related to, you know, issues that we, that we are able to surveil or keep an eye on 
through what we call NARMS, or the National Antimicrobial Resistance Monitoring System, and they just keep an eye on retail and farmed <laughs> livestock and poultry and try to identify how much bacterial resistance we actually have out there. And like I said earlier, if we don't see changes in that, in that NARMS data, in the incidence, the rate of antimicrobial resistance over the next five or ten years, and that tells us this isn't working, and then we have to kind of address why it's not working. So the most important thing to do is not just have the directive, but to have a surveillance system in place where we can look at the effect of it and hopefully see some improvement. But if we don't see improvement, mm -hmm. then we have to consider modifications to it. So there mm -hmm. are, you know, I think that the good thing about what they're doing is that we do have a good surveillance system in place, unlike other parts of the world, where we can put this directive in and it just isn't the law of the land forever. We can actually look at it over the years and see if we're making the right progress. And if we're making right progress, then, you know, then we, then we got the desired effect and, and then we have to consider how to continue that. But if we aren't making that, then we have to consider what's going on. Are people using injectables? Are um, mm -hmm. something biologically going on that we're not aware of? Um, you know, one argument that, that has been made is now that you're going to allow antibiotics at higher dosages for treating diseases, you could end up selecting for more antimicrobial resistant bacteria. Um, if you think about it kind of logically, and there's been some publications that have supported this idea, that if you gave low, in the old days when you can give growth promoting doses, um, that you in theory wouldn't be selecting for resistant bacteria in the same way that if you gave a, a, a significant dose of an antibiotic where you would get rid of all the other bacteria except the resistant ones. So there's a lot we just don't know right now. Um, it, it does make biological sense, in my opinion, to have the VFD, um, but it is going to be interesting to see where we are five, ten years down the road when we look at um, the incidence and the type of, of antimicrobial-resistant bacteria that are that are present in the environment and in our in our food supply. Um, I know a lot of people who are listening or will be listening to this to the archive, and they're thinking, okay, uh, Doc, when does this go into effect so I can go to the feed store and buy a, a case of this stuff? <laughs> I, know, I know there's people thinking that right now because it popped into my head. When, when, when does this go into effect, and, and how long is it going to take to become, uh, I guess, for, for these stores to come compliant? Like, oh, it goes into effect, say, January 1st, but, you know, until this is sold out, we'll still have it, and then all these people rush before this date to stockpile these, these antibodies right, that right, they right. put in their water. What, what date are we looking at? How far out? <laughs> so implementation is January 1st, 2017. Um, I have heard anecdotally from people that they have gone to feed stores and they can't get um, those drugs at this point already. Um, okay. So there, there might be, and I'm not as familiar with this, but I, there, there, there might be already uh, challenges to getting access to certain drugs. Um, you know, they, they've tried this before. So the, the veterinary feed directive is, is going from literally two drugs, and I, I don't know the drugs off the top of my head, I just know that there were there there are currently two drugs that are on the VFT, uh, VFD, excuse me, and we're moving up to actually 283 drugs that'll be on that uh, VFD. So that'll be 283 drugs that, in theory, um, you would need a veterinarian um, to uh, produce a VFT to, to to have a VFD or a written statement that authorizes their client to obtain 
um, that animal feed with uh, whatever antibiotic that they're they're keen to get. Now it's it's important to realize that there's there's so many antibiotics that are 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 just we don't we don't really use in livestock and poultry anymore. It just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. unless you're with some really high end breeding stock. Um, so there's only a handful of drugs that this really for kind of the backyarders and the small commercial producers that it affects. Right. Kind of said those at the beginning that the biggies that I've seen on there that seem to be the uh-huh. most relevant to me were the neomycins, the tylosins, and the uh, oxytetracycline and chlorotetracycline. Chlorotetracycline and tylosin are important because, um, especially on the egg side of things, because those are um, antibiotics that have no withdrawal period um, as far as uh, collecting eggs and consuming those eggs. Um, so the remaining one that is on there that's considered an antibiotic is, uh, is bacitracin. Um, which I don't think is not is not on the uh, on the veterinary feed directive because there is no analog in human medicine. It's not considered a um, an important uh, a medically important antibiotic. Um, but you still have access to other drugs, and I want to point that out again. Um, this only addresses things that are considered medically important. So if we're dealing with coccidiostats, mm-hmm. we're dealing with amprolium, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, those are drugs, and bacitracin. Those are drugs that you have complete access to still. But I don't like the idea and hopefully people don't do this, they say, well, I can't get uh, chlorotetracycline anymore, so I'm just going to try bacitracin now. That, that's the wrong approach. And I think, again, that for the reason of it, it's not cost-effective to just try to treat your birds for a suspected disease that they may or may not have, and then maybe you see some improvement, but now you have no clue what disease you have in your flock um, mm-hmm. and might come back. Those birds, you know, a lot of diseases, what happens is, the birds will get a little better, sometimes because and sometimes in spite of whatever you've treated them with, but now they're carriers of those diseases. And now as you expand your flock um, or you know, as, you, as you do anything as far as exposure of your flock to other birds, now you're exposing those other birds to the same disease. So in, 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 in poultry, the, 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 the resources we have, especially with the diagnostic labs, are just, are just literally priceless in the sense that, first of all, mm-hmm. you, you literally pay very little for them. Um, but if you can work with your diagnostic lab, um, that's such a great um, – that's really where you need to have that relationship established. Uh, once you work with the diagnostic lab and identify what the organism is that you're dealing with, then you can make some informed decisions. And if you needed an antibiotic in that situation, then you would reach out to a veterinarian. But that scenario doesn't happen every single time your birds get sick. It might be something as simple and um, that can be managed by husbandry practices or by vaccination. So, you know, to, to think that, that, okay, they're taking our antibiotics away and now we've got no, we, we don't have any weapons. Mm-hmm. I, I think the one thing, you know, and, and I know we've talked about this in the radio show and also talked yeah. about it, articles I've written, um, is that pre- especially in poultry, prevention is going to be your best friend before the veterinary feed directive mm-hmm. and after the veterinary feed directive. It's, it's really, you're going to make the biggest impact. You're going to get the most efficient bang for your buck with prevention. Um, as opposed to, uh, you know, just trying to kind of treat willy-nilly with uh, whatever antibiotic you can find over the counter. Right. I, I know that uh, you're listening, that there'll be, it, it will affect some folks that probably the, the longer, the folks that have kept backyard poultry or hobby poultry for a, a longer period of time, I think this may may affect them more than a lot of the, the newbies in, the, say, the last five years that have started with backyard poultry. I also think that when, when I post something like this, people uh, a, 
a good number of people will just post, well, um, I don't give antibiotics anyway because that's why I'm raising backyard poultry, healthier and less drugs and no all this stuff that they, they you know, that you know, for their for their family and, and that type of thing. So that they're probably not buying it uh, anyway. Um, and they're going to herb route or whatever kind of concoction they see on the blogger forum. And then um uh, and then, of course, like I said, the other the other issues that we had uh, we had talked about. So um, I'm going to go to break because I want to think of a couple of more questions and brainstorm in my thoughts. Uh, if there's anything I wanted to to ask or that I don't ask that I'll forget to ask that someone out there is asking. We also open the phone lines if you're listening live and would like to call in with a question. Three four seven six three seven thirty two thirty seven. I know when we get to serious topics like this, a lot of people don't want to call in. Oh, that's a dumb question, or I'll sound dumb on the radio. There's no dumb questions. Please call in if you have a question, and, and, and we would rather you call in now and, and get an answer than go to the blogs or forums and get an answer. Um, so three four seven six three seven thirty two thirty seven. If you'd like to call in and ask a question uh, while we go to a commercial break, you can think of one. I'm going to kind of brainstorm and, and come up with any scenarios or something like that. So we're talking with Dr. Maurice Patiski today all about the FDA uh, Veterinary Feed Directive. Uh, he's named some of the, um, really specifically to antibiotics, he's named the ones that are probably more common to us as backyard uh, or hobby uh, chicken keepers and uh, what kind of we have to do now to, to do that, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and some scenarios that might come into play because of this. So um, but think about it. Give us a call, 347-637-3237. If you have any questions, we'll be back right after this short break. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. 
Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Just a cap full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Portrait with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Um, and we're talking today with Dr. Maurice Patiski at UC Davis regarding the new FDA Veterinary Feed Directive. And um, it's something that we've heard about over the last, maybe even as long as a couple of years, and we've hinted on it with some with some shows and whatnot. And then, of course, rumors just kind of go crazy. So um, when he mentioned having uh, this topic today, I was all about that and uh, welcome it so we could get, get the right information. I kind of thought about any questions. Uh, I did have somebody that called in. We're going to go to the phone lines and see if they just called in late to listen or if they actually, because it doesn't it doesn't actually show me if they want to uh, say anything or talk to anything, but they did call into the switchboard. So we'll just go see the worst-case scenario. They can say, no, they just called in to listen. Uh, but if they do have a question, we'd love to hear from them to see or get their feedback or, or um, any concerns that they have. So I'm just going to go to the phone lines real quick and see if this caller from area code 850, uh, you called in here at caller 850. Uh, do you Hello? have a question for Dr. Patiski? Hi, yes, you're live on the air. Thanks for calling. Can you hear me? your name and what state? Yes, you can. You there? Hey, this is Isabel Featherstone from Florida. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, I see your post on my Facebook page quite a bit. Thank you for following yeah. us, being a fan, and, and listening. Uh, yeah, you have. Uh, we'd love to hear from from our listeners. Concerns, questions. Does this? You know, well, hey, let's get it out in the open. Does it make you angry? Yeah. Do you feel like, oh, they don't trust me? Uh, um, and any questions about about it? I'm, 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 I'm. I can see both points to good and bad on this issue. Um, and I'm more, you know, trying to focus on the good. And um, I know you addressed the thing with the working with the diagnostic labs. Mm-hmm. And I had a situation last year where I sent in um, birds to the necropsy lab, and the diagnostic services aren't exactly free. 
Yeah. In your state, in Florida. In my state, exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And you said so, you were calling um, from Florida. Yeah, and um, so I had some, you know, difficulties with that, but I managed to get lucky in the end. Um, I found a vet near me who came out and looked at my birds, and she, you know, felt that the necropsy lab was wrong. <laughs> so aside from that, you know, it's like, you know, I wanted to address that, you know, not all state necropsy labs are free, and they're not always easy to work with. <laughs> so... That's a um, my concern also is, you know, going on the issue with antibiotics, um, is eventually will this affect va- vaccines? Because um, last year um, I noticed there was, and I was affected too, uh, there was the massive wave of um, people that were, were affected by avian pox. And um, I also saw that a lot of people were using antibiotics to prevent secondary infections. And I did not use antibiotics to prevent that. What I did um, as a result of of what I went through, I went and I learned how to vaccinate to do what mm-hmm. I have. Yeah, and, and um, you know, are there vaccines um, that, you know, what are, what are the most predominant um, diseases out there that people treat for that a vaccination can prevent? So that we don't have to worry about using antibiotics. Do you see what I'm saying, Dr. Patiski? Yeah. So those are all great questions. I agree with you on the diagnostic lab. Both points you made. One being um, they can be difficult to work with um, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know their customer service is not always their first priority. So they're they're not just it's not like dealing with a private vet in in, in right. some ways. Um, and you kind of have to. Sometimes things take a little longer than you'd like them to, um, and and the diagnostic lab, it, it's it's in their mind, it's usually not their job. Uh, their job is just to find out what the diagnosis is, and then mm-hmm. it's your job then to hopefully work with someone like myself, hopefully at University of Florida um, right. or one of the other universities as far as cooperative extension. Um, but that can be a challenge, and it does take some some effort sometimes on the the owner side beyond, you know, kind of the normal relationship you have with a vet. Um, nothing is 100% free. So even in California, for example, if you um, wanted uh, your eggs tested for lead or um, you wanted your birds, excuse me, tested for um, salmonella enteritis, for example, you have to pay for those. So I, I totally agree with you that, that some of these things do cost money, and, and that's just the reality of, of the situation. But um, huge chunks of it are subsidized uh, in many states, and, and maybe not. It's different in every state. Um, as far as the vaccine issue, so this doesn't, obviously the, v, the VFD, the Veterinary Feed Directive, does not address vaccines. In, in poultry, there are only two vaccines. Um, well, there's only one vaccine that I ever – always recommend in backyard poultry um, or small or um, commercial or, or in large and commercial for that matter. Um, that's Merrick's disease. Um, that would be, in my mind, a no-brainer um, as far as, as, as vaccinating birds, in part because, um, at least in California, and I think it's probably true in other states, that's the number one uh, cause of mortality or death in, in backyard birds, and it is almost 100% preventable. The vaccine is very efficacious. Um, you know, there are issues with um, 
you know, the, the vials of vaccine are in 500 vial doses, so obviously you're, you're wasting a lot, but the, the, the vaccine is not too expensive, and uh, it's not very challenging to, to give the vaccine. Um, right. It's all, you know, going back to, well, what do you consider your bird's worth? So going and getting a bottle of vaccine in the long run, you know, because you value, you know, if you value your birds, you will vaccinate them. Absolutely. Okay. I, and I totally agree. And, and I actually, I would take it even one step further. When you work with uh, hatcheries and or feed mm-hmm. stores to buy your chicks, I would ask them if they are vaccinating uh, their chicks. And if they are not, because the, the vaccine is literally, if you look at the cost per bird for a hatchery right. or a feed store, you're literally talking less than a penny. Uh, if they're not doing that, then I start questioning what other corners they're cutting. Well, so, I, as far as I understand, um, because I do primarily 99% of my flock is small bantam. Mm-hmm. And as far as I understand, hatcheries do not vaccinate small bantams for Merrick's disease because they are so tiny. When they hatch. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know that situation, but I would say you have to balance out the fact that Merrick's is very common. There's mm-hmm. no treatment for it if they get it. Right. Um. And uh, there's always a needle small enough. I mean, I've I've worked with enough small, tiny little kitties and things like that. That there's always a needle small enough to get it underneath their skin. Yep. Um, but it's it's more challenging, and that takes time and labor and energy. And I certainly mm-hmm. those facts. Now people can roll the dice, and they might say, "Look, I've never had Merrick's disease in this flock, in this environment of wherever they are in North America or around the world," and that's a legitimate argument to make. I'm more risk adverse, so if I know the data suggests that Merrick's is common and it's the most common source of mortality, then then I would probably err on the side of caution, but I, I can understand the other side of that. The only other vaccine in backyard birds I would ever recommend other than Merrick's, and that's only if you had outbreaks of it, were, um, were po- against pox, against avian yeah, pox. Yeah. Now, as far as regulating those vaccines, I can't imagine any scenario you'd regulate those vaccines, but if we are dealing with infectious laryngeotracheitis, there are some states that uh, actually don't even allow you, and I think Texas is one of them um, off the top of my head, that do not allow you to vaccinate against one of the live strains of the vaccine. And that's because that strain of vaccine can actually revert, what we call revert to virulence. So that, that vaccine can actually become, uh, after a couple passages um, in birds, it can actually uh, revert to basically a virulent strain of the disease, and you can cause an outbreak of ILT or infectious laryngeotracheitis oh, wow. um, if, it's, if it's not done appropriately. And what I mean by that is that if you have a flock near your vaccinated flock that is immunologically naive, that flock mm-hmm. can then become susceptible to ILT and then so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of situations where – some of the vaccines for ILT, and there's different vaccines, but one of the vaccines for ILT is not um, accessible to the general public because they want to prevent an outbreak of the disease. The other one that is not also easily um, accessible is the avian influenza vaccine, and there's a lot of um, political reasons why that's so, and that, that would probably cause a whole other show. Yeah, because to, of the, um, you know, the, uh, what do you call it, the foreign, uh, you know, trading, uh, the import-export, exactly, yeah. Import, export, yeah. And there's a lot of arguments on, on both sides of that, and that, that's a, a more complicated issue. But for, for, but for backyarders, the, the, the Merricks, is, should all, in my opinion, should always be done, and the avian pox should be considered if you've had previous outbreaks of avian Especially pox. Especially if you live in Florida. <laughs> okay, is that, a, is that a big issue in Florida? Yeah, especially if you live in Florida, avian pox vaccine should be mandatory. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
That's funny. I wasn't aware. I've got a, I've got a, we're coming up on the top of the hour. I've got a couple more callers, that, and I don't, again, I'm not sure if they, they just called in when we talked about the number. So I want to give them a fair opportunity real quick because I know Maurice kind of blocks off time from his busy schedule for the show. So thank you so much for calling in. You made some great points, and uh, thanks for being a fan and a listener. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right. Uh, okay, let's go to this next uh, couple here. And, and again, if if you did, you just called in to listen and called in late. Uh, you, um, that's perfectly fine. But if you do have a question, then uh, you're more than happy. And we'll we've got a couple here, so we'll go to the next caller that called in. Um, area code five zero eight. Area code five zero eight. If you'll state your name, tell us where you're calling from, please. Area code five zero eight. You have a question. Okay, they may just have called in to listen in. Let's go to the next one, area code 860. Area code 860, do you have a question for Dr. Pacheski? No. Okay, thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, because just you know, some people call in any time when they're available. They'll see a post on Facebook and say, hey, I'm going to call in and listen to this. And I just so happened had to announce the telephone number and said, hey, if you've got questions, call in. So that's why I always do that because I'd hate for somebody to want to talk or have very good points or questions. So um, I always uh, I do this quite often just to make sure. But um, sometimes if you want to talk to the host, press 1. Some people don't know to do that, and so that's why I do this. So, Dr. Petiski, anything uh, before we let you go uh, that you didn't get to say or, hey, I really wanted to make this point, or uh, are you satisfied with getting the information or what we got out for these folks today? <laughs> the only other thing I just mentioned, and it probably just kind of summarizes kind of my thoughts on the topic, are mm-hmm. um, just in general the days of using antimicrobials to increase um, production um, and to kind of treat diseases um, kind of willy-nilly, I think, are um, in, in, in kind of that, that, that backyard, worst-case backyard scenario. I think those are, those are, those are quickly ending, and we just need mm-hmm. to kind of move behind, beyond that. And I, I think, in my mind, we need to focus on husbandry practices. Uh, coccidia control is really important because if we don't control coccidia, they become susceptible to so many other diseases. Um, so it's really important, and, and coccidia is obviously the, the, the coccidia stats are um, completely um, are not affected by the, the VFD at all. So husbandry practices, coccidia control, uh, vaccination where appropriate for the small commercial poultry producers that are out there and listening, um, those are the things we really need to focus on um, as opposed to um, antimicrobials. And then antimicrobials aren't a four-letter word, so we still need to be aware that they're there. We just want to save antimicrobials for a rainy day scenario. So um, we don't want to use it as a crutch. It's there. They're there for a reason. I'm a veterinarian and believe in antimicrobials and their, and their efficacious use, but we just want to, to, to use that as our, as our rainy day scenario, like I said. Cool. Thanks. And, and one last, I'll, I'll be devil's advocate here because I know my audience really well, and I know somebody out there is saying, based on your 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 kind of um, uh, overview of the show today here, this popped in my mind. I know that there are people sitting out there going, "Well, this really just kind of ruffles my feathers because I feel like I'm being not singled out because this is pretty broad, but but they feel like I'm I'm." Because uh, you know, I've had I've kept birds for ten years. Uh, the most birds I've ever had was we'll just say thirty. Um, I've never sold birds for meat. I've I've never given away or sold my eggs. It's all for my own consumption. Um, I there's no way that I see how I contributed to this problem at all with all these antibiotic resistant bacteria. People going to the hospital and getting all this stuff, and 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 it's it's really. I'm blaming the, the commercial folks, but but now I'm getting punished because of what they've done all these 
years with mass uh, antibiotic use, all this stuff. But here I am, to, so I can see what that person. I mean, what, what? Um, and I promise we'll wrap it up with this. What, what, do you, what? How would you? How should I respond to those folks? Because I know I'll get a lot of that after you're off the air. Well, I'm, I'm getting blamed, and I have to change everything I'm doing because. But I had nothing to do with this, and, and I guess my main question is. I wouldn't understand, because I know someone's thinking this, uh, I've got 12 backyard chickens, and I've never sell them from a hobby. Um, How, if I continue to do this, how could that be a risk to anybody else on the planet if I'm going to uh, the feed store buying some antibiotic, putting it in their water, and i got 12 chickens in the backyard that I never sell, that I never eat, I'm just eating the eggs, I never, you know, you know what I'm saying? How, where, someone's asking, what risk is that? Why, why am I having now? Why am I getting punished because I've got twelve chickens and I can't treat them? See where I'm going with this? Because I know, um, and I'd like to know that just so I can kind of help prepare to, a reply when I hear that, which I will over the next six months. Why am I getting much? I, I didn't contribute to this problem, so why am I getting kind of punished here? <laughs> well, I, 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 it's a, it's it's not great to be devil's. I I love being the devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> kind of fun, <laughs> but uh, I would say I say two things. I know um, a bunch of uh, commercial poultry producers that feel exactly the same way. They are good um, uh, veterin- no, not good veterinarians. Excuse me. They're, they are good at their job. They don't use antibiotics except when needed, mm-hmm. and they probably feel the same way that they get, they're getting dinged because of you know some people that are using potentially antibiotics inappropriately, and, and that gets uh, you know identified by media and things like that, and, and that becomes a problem. So most producers, I really do believe this, most of the producers I work with are excellent at their job. Um, there are just a handful of people that, that make it difficult right. for everyone else. Same thing for, for backyard. Um, it's the same scenario. You have a handful of people that are not using antibiotics appropriately, and you, know, you could come up with that scenario. Let's say the person that's got the backyard chickens that only uses those um, those eggs for their own consumption or the meat for their own consumption, you know, you could come up with a hypothetical scenario where that person is still going to be exposed to antimicrobial resistant bacteria, and then they have to go to hospitals and things like that. And uh-huh. then some of those can be can spread via fomites and things like that. So, you know, I don't know how often that is, what the what the true risk of that scenario is, but but we, none of us live in in a bubble. Uh, we all live, especially yeah. when it comes to diseases. Diseases do not respect <laughs> borders or fences, as we all know. So um, we have to kind of be I aware of that. The best the best uh, analogy I can have is this: to where, but but I I'm not a drug dealer. I don't manufacture drugs. Is Sudafed. Sudafed, right? Because, I mean, you know, a lot of people took over-the-counter Sudafed. You'd walk in and just buy that tiny little red pill, 30 milligrams Sudafed. When I have a cold, it actually worked for most people. Um, And then all of a sudden, because people were going into Winn-Dixie or the grocery store and buying all the Sudafed that they had to go home and whatever, melt it down, burn it up, whatever, to make meth or whatever they're making out of it. Do you see how ignorant I am to that? Now we can't. We have to go in and give our driver's license, and they have to record this, and we have to. Get, and and even I've been because I tour so much. I've gone into a a, a well-known pharmacy uh, out of state. I was on the road traveling. I got a cold. I said I got to go get some Sudafed. They would not even sell me a box of Sudafed because I had a Georgia's driver's license. I was visiting out of state. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So I guess I can contribute to that. They don't. Now I'm having to go through these hoops 
<laughs> I should have said because some some drug dealers are buying it and doing something bad or illegal with it, and so we get we feel we have the the fallout of that. Kind of the same way here for those who are thinking I'm getting punished for all the, the commercial farms of misuse, but that's I guess that's that's life because Sudafed is a perfect example. I think of of that attitude of hey I'm getting blamed for somebody else. It it happens. I'm I'm right there with you. My auto insurance went up just this past quarter when I called to find out why. They said well because we paid out more claims in the state of Georgia than we did say in Tennessee. So we're raising everybody's rates who lives in Georgia. We, I'm not kidding. It was absolutely incredible. I'm like, oh, so I'm getting, I've never had it. I'm getting penalized and you're raising my rates because of all these other people that can't drive and have wrecks. So yeah, that's pretty much it. So so that's that's the way they can look at it. Dr. Petiski, thank you so much for joining us today and clearing this up. And as the date gets closer, uh, we may discuss this uh, again as we get closer to 2017. We appreciate you coming on today, my friend. Great. Thanks, Andy. Good talking to you. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. So, uh, yeah, another great show, another great guest. Uh, we'll wrap it up for the books, talking about, again, the FDA Veterinary Feed Directive. If you missed any of it, tuned in late. Uh, this show will be archived for your listening pleasure, probably in the next 10 or 15 minutes. It's automatically archived into a podcast, and you can go and listen to the whole episode. Share it with your friends if they start having questions about what does this really mean, what, how is this going to affect me and my backyard flock, or I'm a small producer, or I have a hobby farm, and I sell, you know, 600 birds a year to, to people who want this pasture rate, you know, whatever the case may be. A lot of people don't use antibiotics anyway, so it may not affect them. Um, so, um, you know, hey, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's make three lists, and which is the longer list? So uh, um, the necessary, uh, you know, uh, voting for the lesser of two evils is still evil type of thing, you never know. And, and like you said, in five years, ten years, it'll be good to look back at this and see if it, it did any good and, and study it along the way to see what's going on. So but at least we now we have the right information of what's going on and, and what it really means for us in the uh, backyard hobby farm and, and uh, industries and, and hobby hobby blocks. So, uh, hey, thanks for tuning in very much. Uh, today's Thursday. We're leaving out in the morning. I got the Chicken Whisperer tour. We're heading out. We're going to, let's see, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. You can see all the stops I'm going to be at. Getting started with backyard poultry, uh, workshops, book signings, um, Tons of free material, free Chicken Whisperer magazines, free information on biosecurity, uh, uh, what do you say, uh, finger foods and, uh, and snacks. Uh, we're going to have a great time. I think there's 14 or 15 stops on this tour over the next three weeks. Chickenwhisperer.com. How easy is that? Chickenwhisperer.com. From there. You can subscribe to the free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. You can take a look and have and enjoy your reading of factorchickenpoop.com. Uh, Factor Chicken Poop, love it. It's awesome. i got some big, big news hopefully uh, coming soon regarding that website. Um, let's see. Uh, you can order our book. You can listen to the podcast, all kinds of information. Uh, and, and then you can get the, all that at chickenwhisperer.com. We'll be back, I believe, next Tuesday. Uh, based on my travel schedule and my tour. And uh, we try to broadcast every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. And we do have true experts in the field like Dr. Maurice Patiski, Dr. Bridget McCray, Ph.D., Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, folks from Auburn University, UC Davis, UGA, um, uh, the USDA, CDC. And uh, we try to get, again, at the end of the day, uh, cute pictures of chickens and coffee mimis and herbs and whatnot. Hey, knock yourself out. But we've noticed at the end of the day, People are coming to Chicken Whisper Inc. to get fact-based, science-based, study-based information for the health of their chickens. Um, they want to know the bottom line uh, of what I need to do or what's, what's, what's this 
what's that, what's the other, versus just hearsay or opinions on the uh, blogs and forums. And we thank you for that. The numbers clearly are showing that. Uh, over 1,200 uh, new fans on our Chicken Whisper Facebook page just this week, 1,200. Uh, it's growing very fast. I couldn't tell you the number of people that are visiting factorchickenpoop.com. It's staggering. Um, and so um, uh, my thoughts were correct. That That's going to end up being just a, a huge landing page for a lot of people at the end of the day. They want to know, is what I read on that blogger forum Factor Chicken Poop? Well, we try to uh, we try to establish that at factorchickenpoop.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We love you, and uh, we'll see you next Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.